0: We're continuing our study of Psalm 68, A Hymn of Victory. Psalm 68, A Hymn of Victory. This is part two. As we stated last time, Psalm 68 rehearses the history of God's intervention on the part of his people. We see a demonstration that God is always on the move. He's creating, walking, sending, calling, commanding, defending, and defeating. And it was during the wilderness wandering that God led Israel through the wilderness and defeated all her enemies. Now, we know from our superscription here that David is the author. And we've pinpointed one of two times, one of two periods, in which this psalm would have been written. It was either during the conquering of Jerusalem in 2 Samuel chapter 5 or the moving of the ark to Zion in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Also, we noted, and we'll bring out again, the fact that Psalm 68 and verse 18 is uh, quoted by Paul in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8, and it's applied to Jesus' ascension. And we spent a little bit of time uh, in our last devotional uh, discussing the implications of that. So, a hymn of victory. We're going to see Psalm 68 declares God's victory, and obviously that applies to us, because Jesus, uh, the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God, uh, was victorious over Satan, sin, and death. And because he is victorious, we too will be victorious. In verses 1 through 6, we saw the providence of God. Now, for the sake of context, I'm going to read the passages that we've covered Uh, briefly here. So the providence of God was verses 1 through 6. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, let those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish before God. But let the righteous be glad, let them exalt before God. Yes, let them rejoice with gladness, sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song for him who rides through the deserts, whose name is the Lord, and exalt before him. A father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. God makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. And then we moved on uh, to verses 7 through 18 and saw the power of God. The power of God, verses 7 to 18. Let's read that. O God, when you went forth before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Selah, the earth quaked, the heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. The Sinai itself quaked at the presence of God, the God of Israel. You shed abroad a plentiful rain, O God. You confirmed your inheritance when it was parched. Your creatures settled in it. You provided in your goodness for the poor, O God. The Lord gives the command. The woman who proclaimed the good tidings are a great host. Kings of armies flee, they flee, and she who remains at home will divide the spoil. When you lie down among the sheepfolds, you are like the wings of a dove covered with silver and its pinions with glistening gold. When the Almighty scattered the kings there, it was snowing in Zalman. A mountain of God is the mountain of Bashan. A mountain of many peaks is the mountain of Bashan. Why do you look with envy, O mountains with many peaks, at the mountain which God has desired for his abode? Surely the Lord will dwell there forever. The chariots of God are myriads. Thousands upon thousands, the Lord is among them at Sinai in holiness. You have ascended on high. You have led captive your captives. You have received gifts among men, even among the rebellious also, that the Lord God may dwell there. Now that's where we concluded last time. Today we're going to pick up with verses 19 to 27, and see the progress of God. Verses 19 through 27, the progress of God. Let's read, beginning in verse 19. Blessed be the Lord God, who daily bears our burden, the God who has our salvation, Selah. God is to us a God of deliverances, and to God the Lord belongs, escapes from death. Surely God will shatter the head of his enemies, The hairy crown of him who goes on in his guilty deeds. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea. That your foot may shatter them in blood. The tongue of your dogs may have its portion from your enemies. They have seen your procession, O God. The procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers went on. The musicians after them. In the midst of the maidens beating tambourines. Bless God in the congregations. Even the Lord. You are you who are of the fountain of Israel. There is Benjamin, the youngest, ruling them, the princes of Judah in their throng, the princess of Zebulun, the princess of Naphtali. So the psalmist here announces a blessing on God for his daily care, uh, for his intervention on Israel's behalf. Indeed, God is to be praised for the daily benefits. Literally, uh, the Hebrew reads. Uh, the phrase translated, who daily bears our burdens, the Hebrew text reads, uh, day by day he bears, or day by day he carries a load. And we see a similar thought in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. We can cast our heavy burden upon him. He carries our burden. Uh, we, uh Jesus said something similar in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So while the righteous receive salvation, though, the wicked are judged. Literally, God will wound the head. He will shatter the head of his enemies. And, you know, a head wound is lethal. lethal. Uh, there's no coming back from this type of wound. We have a parallel clause here, uh, which promises the same. He says, um, the hairy crown of him who goes on in his guilty deeds. Now, basically, this one is still going on in his trespass, and he will be destroyed. He will be judged in the same fashion. He'll be given a blow from which he will not come back. And in verses 22 to 23, we have a prophetic word. Verses 22 to 23, a prophetic word. Notice, God vows to return from Bashan. He, he, he promises, "I'm going to return from the mountains of the God of the gods that is the idols we were talking about last time, from the depths of the sea." Now, interesting from the depths of the sea is a representation of, of the chaos of the world. And he's going to come forth uh, defeating these false gods. He's going to come out of the midst of this earthly chaos. And he is going to come and bring judgment to all Israel's enemy. They are going to die under his foot and the dogs will lick their blood. Now this is written by David, but it's significant here because... Obviously, David is not aware of something that's going to be happening in his future, not in his future, but in the future beyond him. But it makes us think of an event found in 1 Kings chapter 21, uh, dealing with Ahab and Jezebel and their death and the dogs licking up their blood and carrying their bones away. And again... We shouldn't be shocked that that happened because here's a prophecy of what God is going to do with those who cause chaos, with those who worship false gods. The dogs will lick their blood. Now, verse 24, we have to ask ourselves, who is the they? They have seen your procession, O God. Who is the they? Now, it could be Israel, Or it could be God's enemies who will later uh, bring tribute to him in verse 29 and be scattered in verse 30. So, you know, how do we determine who this they is? Because again, Israel's been the focus, God's enemies have been the focus. So, how do we determine this? Well, one way to determine that is to find out what is the actual setting for these verses. Now, I believe that the actual setting, we gave you two settings, it could be, the, uh, uh, when David took Jerusalem, when he conquered Jerusalem, uh, or it could be when the ark was returned to Jerusalem and uh, set there for the eventual uh, temple. I believe that, and I'm going to explain why in a moment, that the actual setting is the Second Samuel 6 and the procession of the ark to Jerusalem. The reason I believe that it is the entrance of the Ark of the Covenant is because the statement here, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. Now, again, the tabernacle was there in Jerusalem. Temple's not yet built, but they had established, they had had reestablished the tabernacle there in Jerusalem. And so there is this procession. They're bringing the ark and they're going to bring it into the presence of God, they're going to bring it into the holy place. Okay, so based on that context, that uh, statement there in our text, I believe that it's safe to say then that this is, the context is dealing with the Ark of the Covenant's return to Jerusalem, uh, with it being set up there in the tabernacle. Now, Also, notice what God is called here in that same statement, the procession of my God, my king, into the sanctuary, into the holy place. He's called the king. Now, that's a designation that is unique. Remember, when Israel came to Samuel, they demanded what? A king. But they wanted a king like all the other nations. Now, listen, God always intended to establish a king over Israel. I mean, we see that when we go back to the law. There are specific laws God gave in, on Mount Sinai for kings of Israel, for those who would serve as kings, as the earthly representation between God and Israel. But when Israel wanted a king, they didn't want God's king, they didn't want God's man. They wanted somebody like all the other nations. And God comforted them, because Samuel was grieved I mean, here he's been acting as judge, he's been acting as the mediator between God and and Israel, and he's hurt, he's distraught. And God says to Samuel, in 1 Samuel 8, verse 7, they have not rejected you, they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. So, at that moment, when they select Saul of the tribe of Benjamin, they have rejected God's ruler. Now, Let's think through this. We know in the law that God gave them a set of commands for dictating how a king should be chosen, how he should behave, how he should govern, etc., etc. But even before that, if we go back to Genesis chapter 49, we have Jacob on his deathbed making a prophecy that a king would come through the line of Judah. Judah. And so God fully intended uh, to bring uh, a king through the uh, line of the uh, of Judah, and of course, then we get to uh, Numbers and Balaam's prophecy, and and remember, from David's perspective, we haven't yet got to Second Samuel seven and the Davidic covenant and the fact that. Uh, God is going to establish his throne forever and there's the ultimate descendant who will be the Messiah and so on and so forth. This is still yet prior to that. We're in chapter 6 of 2 Samuel at at, at this event. But keeping that all in mind here, now here's David as the king of the line of Judah. But notice the difference between him and Saul of the tribe of Benjamin. David announces that God is the king. And he sees the temple, or the tabernacle, as God's throne on earth. And that really was what the Ark of the Covenant was. It was symbolic of God's throne. If we go back to Psalm chapter 2 and verse 6, we know that God promises that the king of Israel uh, will be established forever, and that king will be his son. Now, let's look at the actual procession as described here. The actual procession as described, there are singers who go first, and again, as we go through this, it just reminds you more and more of what we read in 2 Samuel. The singers go first, then they're followed by the instrumentalist, including these maidens beating tambourines. And then there's a call given, bless the God in the congregation. The call to the congregation to bless God. It's plural here for emphasis, the great congregation. God is blessed as he's worshipped and praised by the people, literally from the fountain of Israel. Now, the fountain is not a fountain in the sense of a water fountain. Uh, the fountain is literally where the procession. Begins where the procession springs forth, if you will, uh, on its march to Jerusalem and to the tabernacle. Now notice who takes the lead. Benjamin, verse 27, he rules them. Now, why is Benjamin ruling or taking the lead? Well, I think this is unique, and this is part of what we see with David, is that even though Saul had basically shot himself in the foot, so to say, in that you know, he refused to obey God, so God takes the kingdom from him and passes on to David. And even though David was uh, a man after God's own heart, the friend of God, and so forth, David had an empathy for Saul. Because even though Saul disqualified himself, David still saw Saul as God's anointed one. God had anointed him to be king, Even though David had also been anointed as king, David respected, he had reverence for the position that God had placed Saul in. And because of that, he carried that with him all through his life. So much so that when he found Mephibosheth, you know, rather than dispose Mephibosheth, rather than have him killed or sent away, he brought him into his own house. And so what we see David doing here is because of his respect, Saul, you Saul. Saul's long since dead by now. But his respect, he puts the tribe of Benjamin, because the first king of Israel came from the tribe of Benjamin, he places Benjamin as first in line in this procession. So the Benjamites, then the Judites, then the... Zebulonites, then the Naphtalites, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, the princes are the leaders of these tribes. And so we have leaders from Benjamin, leaders from Judah, leaders from Zebulon, and Naphtali. So we have leaders from both the north and the south parts of the nation of Israel. Now that brings us to verses 28 to 35. And we see the program of God. Your God has commanded your strength, Show yourself strong, O God, who have acted on our behalf, because of your temple at Jerusalem. Kings will be given, or well, excuse me, will bring gifts to you. Rebuke the beast in the reeds, the herd of bulls with the calves of the people, trampling underfoot the pieces of silver. He has scattered the peoples who delight in war. Envoys will come out of Egypt. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hand to God. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing praises to the Lord, Selah, to him who rides upon the highest heavens, which are from ancient times. Behold, he speaks forth with his voice, a mighty voice. Ascribe strength to God. His majesty is over Israel. His strength is in the skies, O God. You are awesome from your sanctuary. The God of Israel himself gives strength and power to the people. Blessed be God. Notice the psalmist confesses what God has commanded and, and calls upon God to fulfill that command. Okay, Lord, here's what you said, and I'm calling on you to do what you said. Now, the key word in this final section is the word strength. Well, literally, it means to prevail or to be mighty. So as God commands Israel to stand, here's David's prayer: strengthen us, O, o God. Okay? Give us the power to stand, give us the might, give us the strength to stand. Again, you know, for us as believers, we need to remember Philippians 1.6, uh, which promises that God who began a good work in us will see it through the day of completion. Same idea here. God, you've promised this. We need you to see it through. Now, one of the things that God did for Israel was defeat her enemies. And that's what David notes here. The king will bring their tribute to him because his temple, well, at this point it's the tabernacle, but you get the point, the temple's at Jerusalem. We. This is followed by a call to God to strengthen his work by rebuking the beast of the reeds. Uh, now, interesting word beast here could be crocodile, and this would be a metaphor for Egypt. You've rebuked Egypt and the herd of bulls with the calves of the people which probably represents another enemy of Israel. In Psalm 22, verse 12, remember the strong bulls of Bashan. And Bashan's been made made mention of repeatedly here in this psalm. So we've got two metaphors here, the beast of the reeds or the crocodile in the reeds, and the herd of bulls, most likely both of them representing one Egypt, two uh, Bashan, both enemies of God. The result of God's rebuke will be tribute of silver as a sign of submission. They're going to pay him in silver. Those who delight in war, those who refuse to pay tribute, they will be scattered. Now, in verse 31, these animal figures become historical. Notice he says, envoys will come out of Egypt. Now, the word envoy that's rendered here basically has an unknown meaning, and so we're translating the term based on the context. So envoys or messengers are going to come from Egypt. Ethiopia this would be Kush, or the land of Upper Egypt, will also come to God with her hands outstretched. Uh, this is a picture of surrender, of worship here. And here God strengthens his work in his people by subduing kings, by scattering others. He takes their tribute, he receives their worship from the nations. Now, what we're seeing here has not yet happened. These final verses of Psalm 68 become Eschatological. It's envisioning a time when Israel's enemies will come to Jerusalem and submit to the living God. This is Isaiah chapter 2 verses 2 to 4 playing out. We have a vision of the nations coming to the temple and singing to God as the kingdoms of the earth. Now who is this God whom the nations will praise? The one who rides on the highest heavens. The one who rides in the skies. The one who speaks with a mighty voice or a voice of strength. This is the God, the true God, the one who is majestic over Israel, whose strength is seen in the skies. The psalmist concludes that this God, their God, the true God, is more awesome than his most holy place. This is the God who gives strength and gives power to his people out of his strength. And so as we see the work of God here, we have a vision of the future of God still on the move. Here he is scattering his enemies, providing for his people, taking them through the wilderness, clearing the promised land, now dwelling on Zion where he will rule as king from his holy place. The nations will bring tribute. They will come to worship. And God will continue to give strength and blessing to his people. Israel will respond with glad singing, with shouts of joy, and with a continual procession of praise into the temple. God rules the nations, and God will extend His kingdom everywhere His Son has preached and loved. God is on the move, and where there will be a day when there will be complete and total victory, and the kingdoms of earth will sing to Him. But right now, my friends, we enjoy victory—the victory over sin, over Satan, and over death. So let's praise God for that, Father, Lord in heaven. We thank you that you are a God of victory. We thank you for this Psalm 68, this psalm, this hymn of victory. And so, Lord, we would be remiss not to give you all the thanks and the praise for the victory you have given to us through your dear Son, who died and shed his blood and rose again. And in doing all of that, Father, he was victorious over Satan, sin, and death. And so, because he's victorious, you have shared that victory with us and made us victorious as well. And so, God, we give you all the praise. And we pray this in your Son's precious name. Amen.